0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 367 with Jeffrey Sullivan. Architecture, development, and New York City's first all-electric tower. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Gusto, the easy online payroll and benefit service built for modern small businesses like ours. In other words, it's a people platform. And RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more all for free. Thanks to FreshBooks and Gusto and RCAT for supporting Entrez Architect and the Entrez Architect community of small firm architects. Jeffrey Sullivan, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Mark, thank you for having me.
0: Jeffrey Sullivan is the studio director at Alloy Development, an architecture development firm based in Dumbo, Brooklyn. He joined Alloy in 2013, starting as a project manager, is currently overseeing the architecture team on two major projects by Alloy, including Dumbo's last factory to loft conversion at 168 Plymouth as well as a larger block redevelopment at 100 Flatbush, which will present the city's first passive house schools, as well as a 40 story all electric tower. I wanna definitely get into both of those. Uh, Alloy is the recipient of numerous awards and the firm's work has been included in both print and online publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Architectural Digest Pro, Wallpaper, fast company, and more, and so uh, they're doing some really, really interesting work. So I invited Jeffrey to come on here and, and talk about Alloy and the things they're doing. So Jeffrey, I shared a little bit about you. Let's let's learn more about you. Let's share your origin story. When did you discover your passion for architecture, or what inspired you to become an architect, and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah. Uh, so that varies a little bit from where we are now. Um, so I grew up in Central Ohio. My parents had a construction company as I was growing up. It was out of our garage. We were you know, kids answering the phone um, to help keep the business going kind of thing.
0: So son of an entrepreneur.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it, it was a, a fun thing to witness growing up and um, be a part of, visit job sites, et cetera. And so there's there was a love for construction from very early on, um, and so as I grew and matured, and you know, learned more in, in uh, education, et cetera, uh, I quickly realized that I wanted to become an architect. And so to do that, um, you know, I found uh, Washington University in St. Louis for a graduate program, and what I really loved about it was it had a uh, both an architecture and a construction management. Um, master's degree. So I went there and um, had a master's in both of those and um, came out just looking for where I could go next.
0: Did you do the architecture and the construction management degrees simultaneously?
1: Correct. So they were, I had a master's, or sorry, a uh, bachelor of fine arts in undergrad. And then for graduate school did both of those um, together at the same time. And then um, one of my professors along the way was um, Jared Delavalle, who is um, the founder of Alloy, and kind of started to introduce me to this development uh, and architecture um, combination that we can get into a little bit about Alloy itself. And so after I graduated in uh, 2010, um, being a person from the Midwest, I was very excited to kind of move to a big city um 2008 was obviously not easy for a lot of people especially architects yeah. um
0: Rough years.
1: yeah and so New York City was uh something I wanted to strive to do and so I made my way out uh to New York and interned actually briefly for Jared um at his office just for a couple of months till I could kind of get my, my feet wet and then um found myself uh at a small office um in chinatown doing residential architecture and design build there a little bit and then uh, a couple years later back in uh, 2013 jared called me and said hey we have a great project coming up would love to have you as part of the team and uh,
0: join the office ever since so you've been there for seven or eight years or so correct yep and what's your position now so
1: i i came in as a project manager for one john street project as you mentioned um and it kind of we were a smaller office at the time we were probably um, six people or so Um, and over the years as uh, we've grown as an office um now become essentially the studio director Um, so we i can get into a little bit of the structure of of alloy but um essentially we are fairly diverse uh within our office from Um, everything from people who have brokerage backgrounds to design, to development. Um, and I would say 90% of our office in of itself has an architecture background, which probably makes us unique and very architecturally focused.
0: Yeah. Let's dive into alloy as a, as a firm before we jump into any of the projects. Can you sort of, uh, share the origin story of Alloy and how it became, and then sort of explain that structure because it's a very unique firm.
1: Yeah. Um, so the origin story itself, uh, you know, it was started in 2006. Um, Jared Delavalle um, and Catherine and AJ Pyries um, started it. And um, the kind of concept behind it um, was, you know, as as any architect deals with both clients and construction, uh, et cetera, they really wanted to take ownership over um, the process and and realize that there was this this uh, no matter how much you wanted to have your vision in a project, if you are um, if you are the architect and someone else is the client, you're always a little bit at the mercy of that and so by taking this ownership, it gives you opportunities to then start to control the narrative and start to create your own trajectory and you know really be able to put the values of um, the architect into the project, which I think really was exciting for everyone involved in the process. Um, So that was in 2006. And a handful of projects we did that were on um, over by the High Line. And then we started to make our way towards actually where our office is in Dumbo, which is um, in Brooklyn. Um, We have since done now, I would say five of our last five projects have been in Dumbo area. So Everything's within literally walking distance, a block from our office one direction, block the other direction. Um, the partners live each in our, in our projects that we've done. Um, they walk to the office every morning. Um, so it's uh, evolved to something that's very personal to us, um, being, being in Brooklyn and of Brooklyn, um, it's really become part of our identity.
0: Yeah, so the, so the two major projects that are in development now one sixty-eight Plymouth and one hundred Flatbush, both in Dumbo, right? Yep.
1: Well, sorry. Uh, one sixty-eight Plymouth is in Dumbo. They're both in Brooklyn. Uh, one sixty-eight Plymouth is immediately adjacent to our current office, um, and it's a really interesting project. The one hundred Flatbush is just in downtown Brooklyn, um, all less than a mile from our office as well. Um, one sixty-eight Plymouth is really has been a really interesting. Um, you know, opportunity for us because it's while well, we have a lot of experience in Dumbo dealing with um, traditional um, warehouse buildings that are, get converted. Um, this is probably one of the last loft conversions in the neighborhood. It's a historical district, um, and so there's not a lot of opportunity left for for buildings like this. And so we are really excited to have this opportunity. We've been having our eye on it for a while. It's um, it's a really beautiful combination of buildings, they were, uh, they were part of the Masri paint work. So they from 100 years ago, essentially did paint production here in these different building typologies. So it's combining a wooden uh, masonry construction with a uh, factory daylight concrete construction, which was um, a challenge in and of itself, um, on top of putting two additions on top of each one of those.
0: Can you explain a little bit about Dumbo and the history of Dumbo? And and because you're talking about how these buildings are being converted, what was Dumbo prior? Also for anybody who doesn't know, can you explain what Dumbo means? Sure. It's an acronym.
1: Yeah, Um, so Dumbo itself is uh, an acronym for Down Under Manhattan Bridge Overpass. So we are um, on the northern edge of uh, Brooklyn at the water at the East River, looking uh, across at Manhattan it's a little disorienting because the, the river turns in a funny way there but um, we are where brooklyn bridge and manhattan bridge essentially dump right into um, into brooklyn so it's a very unique location um, you know, for a long time it was shipping and a very much a port area butts up to um, of an area called fulton's landing and the other direction is a vinegar hill and so it's really um, has a really rich history to it um, in the last, I would say, twenty years, changed pretty significantly. It was. Uh, it took a while till people really noticed that actually, being looking at Manhattan is one of the best things you can be doing. Um, and so, when you kind of just step back from the city a little bit, you get this unbelievable view of Manhattan. And on top of that, there's an amazing history
0: of the building building stock and um, structures in the area. Lots of industrial warehouse type of buildings, right? Yeah, a lot of industrial warehouse,
1: you know, some vacant lots that have become popped up to be new buildings like our one John Street, um, which is on the waterfront uh, that we completed now five years ago. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a old industrial building. Um, and yeah, a lot of the offices have started to fill the locations, et cetera, in, in these areas and residential condos. Uh, the streets are old cobblestone streets that are um, still in existence and getting repaired and it's a really beautiful area.
0: Yeah. it dates back to the, to the colonial era. It was, it was part of the colonial port of, of Manhattan. It wasn't the Manhattan port. It was the Brooklyn port, Um, but it was that same, same area. So you have history from the 18th century all the way up through today in that area.
1: Yeah. And I think it's part of, um, the architectural challenges we find too. As you can imagine, when you are renovating a building that's 100, 120 years old, um, there's all sorts of discoveries and gems through the process of what you, um, how you adjust and tweak and how you either bring out the qualities of it or you address them in various ways, which is all part of the excitement in the process.
0: Yeah, so talk, talk a little bit about um, 100 Flatbush. Because that's that's very unique. Um, You're talking about passive house schools and a 40-story all-electric tower, and so let's talk about that project. How did how did that project come about? And and talk about the you know the uh, the um, program of that project. Sure. Yeah. the The project itself
1: is um, has a bit of history um, as well. You know, we probably five years ago uh, we started assembling. Parts of the block. Um, It's a very um, strange block in the sense it's um, more trapezoidal and it is cut by Flatbush Avenue, which is a pretty big thoroughfare through um, downtown Brooklyn, proper downtown Brooklyn. There's the Barclays um, Center across the street. There's uh, Williamsburg Savings Bank, one of the more um, historic towers um, built in Brooklyn. And so we found this very kind of acutely angled site of uh, probably six, six lots that um, we started acquiring through in, in 2015, we were um, approached through a uh, request for expression of interest from uh, the educational construction fund, they're a city their state agency that essentially leverages um, city owned assets to build new schools. And so one of the sites on the block was or is um, an existing school, the Hill Gibran International Academy. It's a dual language, Arabic, uh, English speaking public school. And their facilities are in uh, buildings that are from 1860, 1890, et cetera. And um, they are, while they're beautiful, they are not proper school, modern day schools. They don't have accessibility, they don't have a gym, they don't have uh, assembly spaces. And so they said, hey, let's um, work together to upzone the site uh, by increasing the floor area ratio, Um, we can now use this additional square footage um, to essentially build and pay for two new schools for the city, the city is starved now more than ever uh, for locations safe and proper locations for um, for students to learn and so working with them through a lengthy what they refer to as euler process um, with the city and the um, community boards you know we probably took on a two to three year process of you know 100 plus meetings with community members uh, stakeholders involved within the local community um, the city themselves to essentially rezone uh, an entire city block so we've now um gone through the rezoning process. Uh, we finished probably two years ago. Um, the site now is capable of holding up to about a million square feet. Um, it's in, what's um, very unique about it is it's a two phase process. So the, the existing school has to remain in operation. We're building a new school, a new tower first, and then once complete the students move over and then we can build our second phase. And so that's kind of the entitlement summary of how we landed where we did. The architecture and kind of aspirational part that we got into was um, what came next. And so, for the school itself, um, we we're not the designers of it. We're um, developing it with the Educational Construction Fund. Architecture Research Office is the uh, are the designers for the project, and in conversation with them the city, um, the school construction authority, who actually manages schools in New York City um, once they're in operation, the public schools. Um, We were talking with them on how we can really push um, the envelope on what a new school means. And I think ourselves and the city got really excited about the possibility of a passive house school. They um, they have ambition for, you know, they're owning these for a hundred years or however long these buildings. And so for them, the idea of having a school that is um, you know low energy use long term can maintain itself is exactly what you know a modern school should be. Um, so that sort of set the standard and and something that we've been pushing through um, over the past year or so uh, with our with our sustainability consultant thorn Thomasetti to really, do the modeling and, and, and get through that process, which has been a, an interesting um, process in and of itself.
0: We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, FreshBooks, Gusto, and RCAT. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, but trying to figure out our financials on our own No, it's not one of them. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for businesses like ours. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to organizing expenses, to managing online payments, takes all of that and automates it and simplifies it, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too, with a ton of reports to choose from you'll know exactly where your business stands. And you can easily hand the keys off to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com architect and enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section so they know that you came from Entree Architect. That's freshbooks.com architect and let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Running an architecture business is hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of all of it. And as a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, by now you already know about our friends at Gusto. Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll, benefits, and more. They help over 100,000 businesses with tasks like automated payroll tax filing, simple direct deposits, free health insurance administration, 401ks, onboarding tools. You name it, Gusto made it easy. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. Their support team is attentive and helpful. And since money can be tight right now, you'll even get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com architect and start setting up your business today. And you'll see what I mean when I say easy. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com architect. You're going to love Gusto. Get started today at gusto.com architect. We are well underway here in 2021 and still no word for most trade shows. We can't wait around for news on which event is proceeding, which is postponed again, and which are canceled. We still need our continuing education credits. And let's not wait until December like we did last year. Let's start planning right now. How are we going to get our 2021 continuing education credits? Our friends at RCAT can help. Along with manufacturer product information, specifications, CAD and BIM, all free by the way, RCAT also provides a list of over 150 manufacturers with accredited continuing education courses. Start earning those credits today at RCAT.com CES. It's another free resource RCAT provides to make your life easier. Free continuing education credits available now at RCAT.com slash CES. That's RCAT.com CES e s fresh books gusto and rcat please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the entree architect community jeff can you just really quickly explain what passive house is most of our audiences are our architects and know what passive house is but but anybody who who's listening who doesn't understand what passive house is may have a very different idea of what passive house will sure, mean. Sure, And and I can't I can't pretend to have all the knowledge on
1: it. But essentially, um, where depending on um, passive house is driven by the um, energy use um, more so than some of the other components like um, like lead might drive something. Um, and so the goal is essentially the the energy use, I believe per square foot is below a a particular EUI. And so um, we're doing, there's two types of Passive House too. So there's a Passive House US and a Passive House International. We are working with Passive House International, which I think was the original kind of standard. Um, And so what they do, it requires a lot of um, back and forth with them, but essentially they will go through every single detail Every single nook and cranny of your modeling to make sure you have a very sealed building, and then that your 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 actual systems themselves can be dialed back as small as possible to minimize the amount of energy usage that you ultimately end up uh, expending yeah. on
0: the building. So super insulation, super hi- hyper efficient, um, very low resource use um as it, imagine a super economical sustainable building that's the intent of a passive house project
1: yeah ex- extremely high performing windows you know two foot thick walls on the exterior um, you know the vapor barrier is running below grade and below the slab you're essentially encapsulating the entire building um, in every single way you can review the penetrations thermal bridging so it's a you know, even at the lot lines, there's methods of how you shift the, the, um, vapor barrier from the exterior to the inside face, just to maintain continuity in areas you otherwise wouldn't have access to. So it's a, it's a very thorough process to, um, create a high performing building.
0: Yeah. Um, And, and is that rare for a school, especially New York city school? Is it rare? It's probably the first and only at this point, right?
1: It is the first in New York city. Um, you know, there are, they've been other aspirations in, in New York, which are great. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there probably is someone somewhere, but I think the, um, you know, we're, we're pushing the first in the city, which we're really excited about. Um,
0: it's cause it's much more expensive, correct?
1: Um, you know, short, short term. Yeah. So I think you're, you're definitely more than a, a standard building. You're, you're, you're looking at, um, you're looking at an expense for the materials themselves. You know, there's, there's no lying that a thicker wall that's two feet thick is probably more expensive than a one foot thick one. Um, but I think the the long-term payback in right. uh, operational costs and things like that. Um, and, and just, uh, I think it's the right thing to do candidly when you have the yeah. opportunity.
0: Yeah. And long-term it will save lots of energy and lots of money and it's the right exactly. thing to do. Exactly. And the, and
1: so I think with that the tower, which we are both the architects and the developers on, um, we kind of stumbled into an opportunity that we were really excited about, which was essentially to do the first all-electric tower in Brooklyn. Um, it is um, we were working on the project and ran up um, against a little bit of a roadblock block when the local utility company was suggesting. Um they were putting a moratorium on gas to buildings because they were essentially trying to push a um, a larger um, pipeline through for approval. And so we said to ourselves, you know we have always you know, especially with the climate change and everything going on that the the carbon impact is is something that we we all take very seriously as architects and in our decisions. And so, um, internally and with our consultants we said you know how how hard is it actually to say you know what we don't we don't need your gas we don't need your gas we're gonna go how do we go all electric right. you know the, the tesla of towers in a way and like and so we were um started researching everything we had to do systems to change and at the end of the day it was not as um complex as one would think um you know the base building systems the boilers things like that you know would go to an electric resistance system uh, they are getting better and better every day. Um, and so that was probably the biggest hurdle for us. And then, you know, then from there, it was just a trickle down to the other systems and making sure that those all met. So, you know, cooktops and the residential side of things, um, the offices, you know, they are more than, uh, willing to kind of cooperate with that using VRF systems and, and all sorts of things. So it was an amazing kind of push and to see how, once you shift the systems that direction, it actually started to open up also new opportunities for, oh, I don't have to vent this boiler to the roof anymore. Right and now, you know, now that it's electric, so.
0: Yeah, and and, and I would imagine there's probably additional uh, a square feet, right? A square footage that comes along with that. No longer do you need chases for all those pipes and things like that and, and stacks. Yeah. So the as you
1: know, as as a both the developer and an architect, you're um, looking at every opportunity you can, and so it did start to open up um, these new opportunities both spatially and otherwise. And I would say one thing that's very specific to um, to, to New York City as well was the local law 97 is one that passed um, recently, which essentially is a carbon tax, and so. Um, similar to that we were um looking to u- utilize that as a as a tool to essentially help ourselves um not just like internally justify and otherwise that like hey you know this is the world we're in this is the direction new york city's going the state's going country's going like we need to be in the forefront of this and so i think with both the school and the tower um and then starting you know whatever uh, 13 years ago um, you know, at smaller condo projects seeing the evolution to something that's more forward-thinking got us really really excited um, and the last just because it's a whole block um, we've been working with the usgbc and our, and our um, sustainability consultants for a new program called lead for communities and so what's really great about that is i think it's an identify they're identifying that you know while a typical lead is addressing a building and its performance that as you tie into your communities, there's more and more there that you're impacting in in ideally a positive way. And So we've been been really excited to work with them both for these two components, our phase two component to help identify what what aspirations our our second phase will have that will help benefit the community and um, create more affordable housing, more areas for people to work, um, schools, et cetera
0: before we before we wrap things up Jeffrey, I, w- I wanted to to talk a little bit more about the firm and how it's structured um, because it's a unique structure you're you're both architects and developers. Uh, how does that work and sort of you know strategically what does the firm look like in terms of your staff and how it's structured? Can you talk about that a little bit? yeah of course the um so the
1: the office itself is a open floor plan where um, you know sixteen people uh, where, relatively you know, medium to small size office. Uh, we are, of the 16, I would say 12 are architecture background. We probably have eight licensed architects. Um, it was founded on, on like architecture principles in a way. Um, we're all very design focused, etc. Um, we have, I would say, a very interdisciplinary background between people. So while I have a construction and architecture background, there are people who have Development backgrounds, people who are licensed brokers in architecture backgrounds, with people who do branding and marketing and design and architecture backgrounds. And so with that kind of open floor plan development, we are we have a very level playing field where we rely on each other to um, provide feedback, to, to find opportunities that you wouldn't expect. And so from an, from an office perspective, when we have a project, we only do one or two projects at a time Um, we like that because it allows us to focus intently on what we're doing Um, and given that we're not you know if architecture is you know sd to you know cdca uh development is acquisitions which could take however long beforehand to sales and turnover and life after building if you happen to uh, own the building long term and so the two-year kind of window really becomes a five, six, seven-year window. And so for us, we're always focusing on these, these different parts. Um, and so as an office, it's, uh, as I mentioned, it's very open, it's a very studio-based culture. When we're designing, it's, you know, people are shredding, they're pinning up on the board, where the interns, the partners, you know, everyone in between are sitting in the room arguing why they like this thing or that thing. You know we. We joke with each other, the best, best design wins. Like we don't, doesn't matter who came up with it. And, and so there's, um, there's a really architectural studio based culture to it, which is maybe counterintuitive to what people might think in a development office. Um, you know, I think we, our goal and what we aspire to and what we like is that we're in a lot of ways, redefining values. We try to um, look at something and say, you know how valuable is this thing? If this if the money's coming out of your pocket, is it worth is it worth spending this money on? Because then you really truly start to question the value of that thing. And so, I think similarly from a development lens, we do recognize. While someone might say, "Well, that doesn't that doesn't underwrite to to give me the most return possible," but as an architect, you say, "No, no, no like this trust this is worth it." Like the architect in you is like, "No, you gotta you gotta go for this." Like other people aren't doing this, and so there's um there's that architectural you know aspiration within the development side of things within the office. And so we had those conversations where are literally all sitting next to each other saying, well, that didn't, you know, I don't know how we're gonna afford this or that, or someone would say, um, you know, but oh, like look how beautiful this is. And, and I think with the with the discussions, there's a high efficiency too, where you're not prepping for a client presentation you're putting a sketch or putting up a digital model spinning around and saying, Oh, I was trying to achieve this. And like, "Oh yeah, I get it. Cause we're all coming yeah. from a similar, similar background.
0: I could imagine that it's very, uh, integrated and that, that collaborative, that, that, you know, typically where the develop, the development team and the architecture team are in two separate buildings, two separate companies doing their own thing. And they all have their own priorities. Um, whereas when you have everybody in one room, one big open room that that process starts to feed off of one another. The the architects start to understand more about how, what the priorities of the development side is, and and uh, the development side starts to understand more about uh, the the value of the design and the architecture that can come from uh, providing good quality design. Is that is that happening? Yeah, and I think I think you
1: you hit it exactly on the head. The, that overhearing that sense of, um, you know, di- you're digesting with all the information through the day. We intentionally have, you know, calls where people will be walking by and they'll poke their head in and be like, actually, you know, I, I I saw this or, um, you know, this moment makes a lot of sense and be really nice here. And so there's this feedback and collaboration that, um, you know, we might say we may pull someone in from our brokerage team and say, um, you know, how would you, how would you like, what's the demographic? Who, who would you sell this to and how would this go? And so, and then um, someone from our marketing team might also come in and have a cool sketch or some idea that they just came up with. So there's a, there's a very uh, open free flow within the office. That's um, always a a great energy to have um, happening all the time around the projects, which is always really exciting.
0: If you could, share one thing that a small firm architect could do today to build a better business for tomorrow? What would you say?
1: I think selfishly from our own office, I think diversifying your own interests and background is is really valuable. I think as we've seen, there's people within our office have uh, these varying backgrounds that I think helps you engage with the community in different ways, whether it is through construction or through design or through just meeting people on the streets, but I think it has a lot of value in in the success of a company.
0: His name is Jeffrey Sullivan. The company is Alloy Architecture and Development. You can learn more about Alloy at alloyllc.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. Uh, Jeffrey, this has been a really interesting conversation. Um, I've, I'm have I'm ai I'm a New York guy who just moved to North Carolina about a year ago, and so I miss my city. I didn't live in the city, I lived outside the city, but Uh, i have a little part of my heart there and so um it's nice to hear what's happening there and to sort of uh understand what's happening over in brooklyn so thanks for sharing that uh story the projects that you're working on and and alloy is a fascinating firm so thanks for sharing your knowledge here at entre architect podcast of
1: course thank you mark this has uh been really great
0: you have been listening to episode 367 of the entre architect podcast with Jeffrey Sullivan of Alloy Architecture and Development. If you'd like to access the show notes or share this episode with a friend, the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 367. That's entrearchitect.com slash episode 367. I know I ask you every week to share that link, but I would really love it if you could because that's the way this podcast grows. So more architects learn about what we're doing. So share entrearchitect.com slash episode 367. And say, hey, this is a pretty interesting conversation that Mark had with Jeffrey. I think you should listen. Entrearchitect.com slash episode 367. Entre Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gablemedia.com. Go check that out. G-A-B-L Media.com. G-A-B-L Media.com. And today is the final day to purchase the Entree Architect P2P Profit Course. It's the on-demand video course that teaches the financial management system developed specifically for you, for architects, and the unique way that we work. You'll learn how to plan for profit, how to track your progress, and how to make the adjustments necessary for financial success year after year. We will walk you through everything, chart of accounts, Uh, The profit loss statement, the balance sheet will give you uh, key financial performance indicators. The entire system is there. Enrollment is still open, but tonight is the last night. It will close tonight, Friday, March 19th, 2021 at 1159 p.m. Eastern Time. That's midnight tonight, Friday, March 19th, 2021. Visit entrearchitect.com slash profit course to enroll. Be well, my friends, be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of
1: telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects
0: Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entre Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entre Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action.
1: There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be artists are temperamental so beautiful design is going to be a priority when the job is done we're going to actually need to live in the house not live with the person who designed it (laughs) and so for me the the artistic skill the architectural skill is most important and so i would say like that would be 60 percent of it if not more
0: gain insights to build a successful practice subscribe engage and let's redefine your future together Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.